0: Hello. Good afternoon. How are you guys doing? Thank you. Great. All right. Good. Um, so, uh, my name is Mike King, and uh, I, I write and teach uh, music business courses at Berkeley College of Music for their online school, Berkeley Online. Um, and uh, you know, I, I, I was going to say this anyways, but now I can say it, and it's it's true. Um, uh, these folks are awesome. So we had like such a great hour um, before this. Just uh, and I'm hoping we can uh, uh, replicate that. Um, so uh, w- I want to just do very very quick um, uh, backgrounds. Um, everybody, quick introduction. So we'll start uh, with you, Sammy.
1: Hi, um, I'm Sammy Andrews. Um, I've done quite a few different things in the industry. Started off as a live promoter and an artist manager. Uh, head of digital uh, record label and now I'm an advisor to the music industry. I work with artists and labels and distributors um, including Lennox and Bjork and Prodigy and used to work with Marlon Manson, a very varied uh, group of artists. I also manage a new band and I am a co-owner of data and analytics firm uh, Entertainment Intelligence.
2: Hello. How's that? Ooh, that worked. My name is Russell Ward. I have a Uh, media company, The Confluence. I've had it for about seven and a half, eight years. And uh, we specialize in digital publicity and uh, helping to tell stories through whatever modes and mediums are available. And uh, ultimately, I think that those modes and mediums matter less than everybody thinks. I think it's back to the original storytelling. But uh, that's something we'll probably get into later. And uh, yeah, I welcome all your questions and insights.
3: My name is Asya Shine. I run Fusicology.com, it's like musicology with an F. Um, what we do for the past 13 years is we list soul, funk, jazz, hip hop, house, and world music events across the country, so it's like a niche, sort of event bright, so to speak. Um, I come from um, a d- DJ and band agent agency background. I used to book them, I don't do that anymore, but I still do a lot of marketing for DJs and bands, and I'm also um, an event producer, but all, I got so heavily into digital I've been really focusing on. Fuse Ecology and I'm also launching a startup called Fuse Life which is going to sort of focus on how to incorporate health and wellness into the music industry as well.
4: Hi, <coughs> David Messias. I uh, run a company called 30 Tigers out of Nashville. Uh, we do two main things, uh, we manage a slate of about 15 acts uh, and I also, uh, the other part is the main part of the company is um, a label services arm that handles distribution, uh, you know, funding for projects. Uh, basically we're almost exactly like a label yet, but except for the fact that we don't own anybody's work. We allow the artist to own the work right from the get-go and uh, <clears throat> have a different financial model that puts a lot more money in their pocket, so.
0: Great, thanks. Um, so the panels here have a pretty diverse background and it would be helpful for me and for us um, to know kind of who's here and what you're interested in. So I'm just gonna ask, uh, who here uh, is an artist? Hey, okay, so I guess we know where to focus. Okay. Uh, um, Who here is an artist manager? Okay, great. Um, Other business uh, type of person? Okay. Who here is the founder of (laughs) DistroKid? How are you doing? Good to see you, we haven't met in person, but good to see you. Um, Okay, so, Here's, here's what I think we're going to do. Um, uh, this is a marketing panel, and, and marketers uh, sometimes think in terms of funnels, you know? So uh, top of the funnel is kind of big. As you get down the funnel, it gets a little bit smaller. At the bottom of the funnel is monetization, usually. Um, so I want to start at the top of the funnel, right? So um, I'm going to start by asking about um, awareness you know uh, it's it's a whole lot easier to market when you've got leverage and you've got people uh, that you can communicate with but like how do you how do you find those people how do you start so I'm gonna open it up with that um, how do you get that top of the funnel um, started from an awareness standpoint I'll open it up to whoever wants to answer well i, I tell you l- l- l-
4: the first thing that I think needs to be identified th- to what Russell was saying is what's the story that you're going to tell, like having a, a, a really good awareness of what the emotional utility of of the art is, uh, because, um, you know the, you know that's the that's the reason why people are showing up, you know to consume your music, whether in the live forum or, you know in the in the recorded you know forum. So you know and, and it can be different types of things. You know y- you know younger people often find a sense of identity in the music that they consume sometimes people as they get a little older looking for uh you know different uh emotional states catharsis or companionship through the music so i think first of all before sort of entering into that funnel get a sense of like what is it that you're trying to say and then i think tactically that can help lead you down the right path
2: yeah i think uh have you guys heard of usp you guys know this anybody unique selling proposition so uh before you want to go out, you want to go in, and you really want to understand what makes you special. Um, everybody's heard like the little kitschy pitch for any artist, uh, like DXX, but with deep house and vocals instead of, you know, down tempo and vocals. That's HVOB. Um, you've got your little contextual map, <clears throat> and you really want to understand where you are within that Because that's the framework that everyone else may already have in their mind that you can use instead of a fresh start. So kind of like this, but that. So first understand yourself before you want to tell anybody anything and spend a moment inside, and that will package it up better for consumption and distribution.
3: Yeah, like for instance, um, we work with low-end theory, and Flying Lotus is obviously a star, but there's all these people that are around that deserve some sort of a some sort of limelight but you don't want to be like an affiliate of or the the guy you don't want to say that but you want people to understand that it's a derivative of it's an affiliate and make it so that it's organic and then it's useful to the audience to know where you're coming from so i think that there's affiliation is really kind of the key and it's been really helpful for us kind of affiliating one artist with another
1: i I think as well knowing where you want to go with it so not just going in and and you know, I want to approach these people. And knowing where you want to be in a year or two years, and having that much long-term, longer-term vision, it makes it far easier to approach the people you want to approach in the right way. If you know where you're going, and then how you can get there.
2: Sure. Begin with the end in mind. Yeah. Yep.
0: So uh, when, once you've got your US right, um, and you sort of um, have the the message. You know what you're all about, right? And you've put it together to to your points. How do you then identify who is it that I'm going to target, and how I'm going to target them? Um, so, you know, I'm thinking uh, there's uh, genre specific, there's geographic specific. There's, there's
1: yeah. two there's two specific things with, within this though as well. Knowing who to target. A campaign for an established artist is very very different to a new artist. And for established artists, we have a wealth of data available to tell us who to target and that could be anything from retargeting data, uh, streaming service data, social network data, any fucking data you like, all in one pot, but we can read a lot of insights from that. For a new artist, it's very different because you have to establish, again, who you want to approach and take a a much different approach to finding those people. It's two completely different
4: plans. Well, and also, I think trying, you know, understanding that, uh, you know, you've got art over here and you've got the consumers over here and they're going to find out about <coughs> the art through i mean the idea of the art has to transmit through various mediums and you know one of the truisms about marketing is that you know people have to anytime you're disseminating an idea they have to uh hear it a, a number of times you know david Ogilvy, who was the sort of the dean of modern advertising even back to like pt barnum uh, when he was selling his you know c- circus tickets uh, would argue that it w- you know and I don't know if this is exactly the right number but they they both posited that it was seven impressions before anybody became aware of what it is you were trying to put across so i think that's where the tactics come in where you think about who you're trying to reach what mediums do they consume you know so you know telling the right story through the medium it may be social media it may be radio it'll be you know be live touring sometimes sometimes not but you know every um every artist you know has it will have a different media mix and before if at all possible and i know that sometimes it's not possible if you're you know starting from from ground zero trying to bring in the right advocates to help you build that may be a little bit tough but as much as you can try to think about the whole Media mix before you start firing bullets all over the place and and, and you know because it's going to take a, a, a Multiple of me, media of, uh, of impressions for you to connect yeah,
3: I think I'm um, just to add to that. Um, that's why I look into partnerships a lot. So I say okay, um, you know, Adidas sponsors do-over. Uh, I'm just gonna bring this back in. Let's say um, Gaslamp Killer played a do-over. Can, would they be interested in maybe sponsoring a tour? And even if they're not, it's a great way to start because obviously you have to send them a proposal, you have to create them a deck. And so I think that partnerships are really important and I think the easiest way is to go with partners and brands that make sense to you because if you just out of the bag say, you know, I want this, that's never gonna happen. You gotta provide them the information of why they should sponsor you and it really has to become like one. You know what I mean? You have to become one with that brand and then that brand will in turn sponsor you and I think that's one of the easier ways these days of getting onto anything is to have a brand sponsor. Maybe that's unfortunate for some people, but it's, it's, and normally they don't want creative control. Normally they just let you do your own thing as long as their brand is front and center in a tasteful way.
1: In the branding, I've worked with a lot of sort of indie and, and rock bands that reject the idea of branding. Like, I'll never work with a brand. You go, no, but you're playing a Gibson guitar, drinking Jack Daniels and wearing Converse every night. You know, it's the the key in that is finding an authentic voice for the for both the brand and the artist, but, uh, but in certain genres, do dismiss it, and they need to look at what they're doing sometimes, I think.
2: And also, as you're tracking down that, that USP and thinking about what's next, look at what the biggest things in your space, the biggest things in your genre, or the nearest things to you are executing with effectiveness. Um, you know, it's unattributed. A lot of people thought it was Emerson, but... Uh, Good, po- good poets borrow, great poets steal. Okay, so don't <coughs> knock shit off, but make it your own. See what was it in the dynamic that an artist close to you had effectiveness with, and see not if you can go through the same exact channel, but how to make it your own. Uh, authenticate it, um, breathe it, live it, and then also just the research. Also, as David spoke to the media mix, uh, far better to spend an extra day, an extra week, even an extra month, and I'm an action guy, so if I say to s- wait a moment, it means a lot. <clears throat> so take a moment to research the platforms. Is this something that you want to see all the way through? Everybody, as I was telling you at lunch, everybody has a buddy who started their weekly blog, and boy did they kick ass for that first nine episodes, issues, whatever you call it, but then it was biweekly. And the moment you taper from the cadence or the interval in your media mix, it sends this subconscious uh, distress call or lack of credibility call, and it's hard to get beyond that. So be very measured before you take on a new thing. A lot of people say, oh, I gotta be everywhere at once, but instead, why don't you break it up and think about what you can be always on. Yeah. And
4: also, I know, uh, Mike, one thing you were talking about, too, is you know, uh, you know, making sure, because a lot of artists are you know, sort of starting, your, your time and where you can be A lot of times it is one of the resources that you have available so sometimes especially with acts that depend on live touring um focus if you need to just on building those impressions within your local community mean something in the community that you're in and you know cultivate relationships in all of those mediums but do it where you can you know you can have more control over the situation i mean you know people often ask about you know well you know how do you get a booking agent it's like you know have 10 markets where you can sell 200 hard tickets and they'll come to you you know so I I think that in in whatever genre you're in you know don't be afraid to start very locally and and get those multiples of impressions where you can get them.
3: Just a quick note about the agents In, in my industry there's really no agents anymore it's either like main like you know CAA or the agency group or you're just indie and what I tell artists, especially independent artists, is research and development. Go, if, if you're like this artist, go see where they performed. Contact the venues. But again, why should they book you? They're going to book you because you can bring people to the venue. So you have to, it's a bit of a chicken before the egg. You want to have your social following. You want to have, you know, your your views on your videos. You want to have that before you approach these venues and say, well, this is the type of artist that I am and I want to perform. But I don't think anyone even needs an agent anymore. I'll, I'll, I'm going to be yes. honest. And I was an agent for over for Ten years. I just think if you have a decent manager, you know that, that cares about you, and you can do the research, development, develop a Google Doc or even a Salesforce type of document, venue promoter, and just contact people, and don't be a bugaboo, but be proactive about it.
0: You know, I, I, I love that idea, and I'm just going um, <laughs> to. Russell had this great um, uh, descriptor for my role here on the panel, which is. Um, the uh, velvet glove around an iron fist. So I'm gonna be an iron fist right now uh, and, and bring it back for a second. Um, so I, I love the idea of looking at artists that are doing slightly better than you are and uh, identifying where they are and what you can do. Not superstars, but you know, a little bit less. And then, you know, starting your marketing efforts there. Um, Russell, you mentioned something earlier um, at lunch that I wanted to dig into a little bit more around crafting your story, you know, and, and finding the appropriate outlets. Uh, you operate a digital PR company. So you can you talk a little bit about um, you know, how do you find the right audience from a
2: PR standpoint in crafting a story? Sure. Uh, <clears throat> who here knows the Glitch Mob? You guys know the Glitch Mob? OK. Um, big act, headlining tours globally, uh, great business through every dimension, from sponsorships and partnerships. Anybody know Marty Party? You guys know this producer? OK, so let me take a step back about six years ago. Um, this was the task I, was, uh, I had upon me. I was managing Marty Party, who was ultimately not very well known. Uh, everybody knew the Glitch Mob at the time. They were a big trending act, just as they've sustained up to this day. So I sat there and I thought, who the hell would care about Marty Party? He had a side project with Ooa of the Glitch Mob called Panty Raid. So I realized, by proxy, the people that at least had half a modicum of context for who Marty Party is, in the grand scheme of things, were the journalists who had written about the glitch mob. So I sat there on my own hustle for about a week, reverse engineering the entire data set of everyone who had covered the glitch mob, and then the next week, instead of taking the cheap way out, pfft, spam my HTML bullshit, unsubscribe, never talk to me again list, instead I sat there and I brooded over authentic one at a time emails. Now this few week process is now literally what my company has developed upon. So reverse engineer, I think there's one through line that you've heard from almost every answer to almost every question thus far, and it's do your research, get in, work harder than the next person, dig and hustle, and that's, that's how you find the strategies. You see what works, you see what doesn't work, you see what fits, you see what doesn't fit. And then to take that one step further, in communication, whether in life, whether on behalf of a pitch, whether pitching sponsorship. First, and to your point, <clears throat> service the need of the recipient before getting into all the bullshit that you need. They aren't gonna get to the second and third and fourth line, much less third and fourth concepts, if you don't service what they're looking for first. So it's the principle of empathy. It's more important than just this industry or just this room. Service first what they need, like seek first to understand then to listen, or then to explain. So. Can
0: I add one thing to this, um, just another example? Um, it's it's a little bit older example, but I really love it. There's a guy named um, Alessandro Cortini, um, who plays with uh, Nine Inch Nails. Um, and he had a solo release, and he asked his his fans, "Hey, what is it you know that you're interested in?" He found his fans were all kind of synth folks, you know. Um, and he made something. He made a uh, little um, synth that you can play, you know, and it was preloaded with some stuff. And then just going to the particular outlets, um, he pitched in gadget, you know. And usually that wouldn't be an outlet that's traditionally, you know, something that a musician would focus on got this really great piece written up just because it was like unique and interesting. And, you know, uh, in teaching at Berkeley, um, you you know, I I have a lesson where it's like, hey, you know, what what press outlets are you gonna go for? You know, universally, it's like pitchfork. I mean, it's all the same stuff, you know, but like if you can really focus in on outlets that are particular to what you do, I think it's important.
3: And just to touch, what, you do to commend you is your publicist when they email us, it's not an HTML blast. It He actually addresses not only me but my assistant which is actually impossible with something like MailChimp. So I know for a fact and then they they know, you guys know that we're a little more on the quote unquote soulful side so you don't send us everything you send us something that's very specific and and I know that and I appreciate it and we actually respond and cover and and it works. And other publicists I'll be honest with you, I get it. I know it's not for me because it's some main stream something that or something I'm just not into they're not even paying attention to what I'm about and I'm probably will never read their emails again even if they do email me something that is super you know on point with what I do so I think the the um, it's it's important to personalize and to spend that extra time like you were saying and to also have um, take it back to that personalization because there's so many programs everyone already knows so it's good to like you said take it back to the beginning of this direct marketing
1: and the relevance as well. I mean, we see that across not just the, the mailers we're talking about. So Spotify last year recently stopped all of their mailers. If you, any of you have an account, you, you may have used to get bombarded by emails for all kinds of fucking things. But they realised that their click through rates were dropping significantly because they weren't relevant to, to everything. If you listen to a song once, doesn't mean you want to hear everything about that band for for the next however long. But now they're digging really into super fan analysis and they can see if you've listened to a band 40 times a week or 10 times a week and make sure that you're receiving relevant information and that the relevance across PR and any form of communication. If people stop opening that mail, you've lost them. So that we, already, we can see companies working with the data they're getting to make sure they're serving more relevant uh, information.
2: Yeah, one, one more point on that. Um, almost every discipline, whether it's securing sponsorships once you've done your data and you have a list, or reaching out to your fans or whatever it may be, there's lots of mass communication that have to happen. And you can either start with a list and gain attrition where it's degrading over time because of the nature of your communication, or you can start with a list and because of the means of your communication, you can add and acquire to that. An example is that uh, because we send just individual authentic emails well-researched in a different manner than anyone, anyone else out there, we get all the time response emails there is no way my editor is going to go for this. Hard stop. However, I've never really received an email like that. So, whatever else you guys have in your portfolio, or whatever else is next, I write for this, this, and this, and I just want to work with you guys.
4: Yeah, I tell you, I'm so glad you're saying this, because one of the, I think, sometimes one of the traps of technology is because data can sort of lead you to um, what appear to be easy solutions, and you know the credibility that you're building in your advocacy um, by the emotional intelligence that you're employing is what helps make you probably the you know the most credible advocate possible, um, and and uh, you know that's that's my you know technology can be a, a wonderful thing but but if you're if you're not, you know, employing that kind of emotional intelligence, it's...
2: Don't lean on it.
4: Yeah, yeah. exactly.
2: Can we
0: talk a little bit, just at, at one little bit of a higher level, we're saying when you have um, a list, how you should communicate, and I'd love to maybe talk a little bit more, but like, how do you how do you gather that list? How do you create uh, a community that you can communicate with? Well, go
1: ahead. Especially as a a new artist, but as an artist of any size, data should be first and foremost the thing that you want to receive from everyone. Something that's really important to understand when we're talking about utilizing all these channels like social networks and streaming services, they own the data, you don't. And uh, some of the services you have to pay to access that data. So in the back of your mind, whether you're a record label artist or distributor, should always be trying to make that conversion. And there are exceptions with some of the D2C sites um, that allow you to retain data, including Benji Rogers is in the room. Pledge are brilliant at that, um, but a lot of the services you you don't get to keep your data. So it's finding uh, credible ways of incentivizing a fan that you have on Facebook or Twitter into turning them into an, an email address.
3: An easy thing that we've done is uh, give away a free track, you know, um, but you have to sign up for the email. That's like the one drop, and a bunch of these um, sites do that. So that that probably is one of the easier ways, and also like. Um, backstage video, like video that's not live to the public and then you has like a password, but it's like, you know, um, we did, um, Erica Badu was DJing and she had like, she did like an interview but it wasn't posted to everybody. So you had to, and all you had to do was sign up. Thousands and thousands of people wanted to sign up because they wanted to see this video. And that, um, well, you have to do opt-in because if you spam, um, you're never gonna be allowed to send any more emails. They're very strict about that. So you can't just like buy a list you know what I mean? They could it would be pointless. It to be to point. No so one anyway. opens it.
1: It's the same as bu- if, you're, if, you're, if the artist room. Don't bother buying fans on social networks. It completely fucks over your data so you don't know where everyone's coming. Your top country will be somewhere you've never heard of in India. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. You, you can't use <laughs> that true. data. And so many new artists I meet, like, I've got 10,000 fans. Again. You've got two people engaging. Yeah, what's I mean. your open rate, right? And it's, and it's <laughs> yeah. obvious publicly.
4: I mean the fir- you know w- one of our rules to live by at 30 Tigers is like uh, impressions 1 2 and 3 have to be editorial they have to be you know 4 5 and 6 can be advertising or or you know or or you know sort of more of a you know kind of a you know but but you 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 have to make people you know you have to engage them on a on a level in which they trust the interaction. I think
3: that's why advertorials work a lot for as me as a website publisher, like I might be promoting something, but I'm it's an editorial and then it's promoting something like you were saying at the very end. It's like, well, to buy this or to do this or to view that. And, and then you have CTAs. But I mean, it, you have to have some sort of story behind it. It can't just be like buy my record out now no one's going to care.
1: Knowing who to approach with what as well so it's, it applies more for established artists but the, 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 a large percentage of your income can come from your super fans so those are the people that will buy tickets they'll buy merch they'll buy the box set being able to establish who those people are you have to send a very different message to those people than someone that's you know, a, a casual listener and that they might like your band but there are things available whether it's uh, streaming data or uh, various things to be able to establish how many super fans you have and then find the right products to sell to them. So you can vastly generate your uh, higher income by selling the right things to the right people. Not everyone's gonna want a box sale or whatever, but those people that do, that's money in your pocket.
2: Yeah, and uh, as you're trying to build a list to later market to, uh, three letters that I beat into my team continually. Content, access, and value. So content speaks for itself. Access, she spoke to. Uh, come backstage with us, a chance to meet the artist. Value, maybe there's a discount on the forthcoming single or whatever. If you stick with those three letters, that's how you build your list. Also, <clears throat> you got to give shit away. Um, it used to be, you know, 20, 30 years ago, the album was the gold at the end of the rainbow. That You work so hard, the advance, the late nights in the studio, blah, blah, blah. But don't worry, the album's coming and it comes, you know, Horse in, horse in shining armor, all of that shit, and it saves everybody's day. All the checks are paid back. We're eating only pink M&Ms, even though there aren't pink M&Ms. Whatever, right? But now, times have changed so much that that's as paltry as the business card. That's literally, I've come through that whole cycle just to get you to hold this thing in your hand. All of that is gone. So you have to be giving first. So again, content, access, and value. Stick with those, you'll be all right.
0: I wonder if we can um, dig into some specific best practices with certain like marketing areas, right? or maybe some that aren't always considered marketing areas. So um, can we start with um, streaming? And I know you've, you've had some success and you have uh, written a l- little bit about marketing and streaming services. Yeah.
1: So um, with all of the uh, stuff that comes along with streaming, one of the biggest things is what I was talking about earlier, they can see who's listening. They, they can see who skipped a track, who made it 10 seconds into your track, how many of you listened to a track on a playlist and then put it in your collection. And that's part of what my company, Entertainment Intelligence, does. we analyze that data to feedback insights. But knowing that is an incredible uh, tool to be able to figure out what you want to do from there. Um, but pitching into, so on a playlisting front, playlists are increasingly, we're seeing between 30 and 70% of plays on a track come from a playlist not from an album and that's a, a really important thing to remember when we're talking about the, uh, how the album has changed they're not going out and they're not going listening to it from an album so editorial placement within playlists is a huge new marketing tool and all of the major labels own their own playlist uh, st- playlist brands and streaming services so they've got D- uh, Digster, Topsify and can't Filter. Remember, Filter, thank you um, but also the services themselves. So pitching in from the start to playlisting well before you've ever released a track, you need to go and see the streaming services or speak with your label or your distributor um, and try and get your tracks within the editorial placement either on an independent brand, a third party brand, or in their, in Spotify's own playlist system. And the plays generated, you could get millions of plays from inclusion in one of Spotify's main playlists or in Apple's playlist or Anywhere else. So that's a new route to marketing. And the independent curators there, the, the playlists that are not owned by Spotify, there's n- currently no direct way to contact them, which is a bit shit all around. And that applies to all of the services. But if you do a bit of research, spe- specifically on Twitter, and search for the word curator, a lot of them have it in their bios on Twitter. And you can use that route to then go and pitch into them as if they're the owner of a large playlist. So that there's there's ways and means of, of getting in front of the right people and also sponsor playlists. So we're increasingly now seeing brand sponsor playlists and it's a, I'm pretty sure they're here as well. So in the UK, like Jägermeister, um, they love sponsoring everything. I don't know if that's the same here. And um, Jack Daniels. And, uh, Jack Daniels. Um, so now you'll see a playlist on some services that starts Jägermeister, band name, song name. And what's happened there is whoever the brand is has gone to the band given them some money in order to uh, make a track specifically for that playlist and usually the rights remain with the artist so for a set a period of time they have it exclusively on that playlist so it's a great bit of advertising if, if the brand association is right for the brand the band gets some money and you get uh, inclusion there so th- there are different ways that you can utilize it and just the last thing on streaming so uh, Spotify and Pandora are two of the more forward-thinking in uh, allowing people to access their fan bases, and they haven't been yet, um, but they've all been testing it. So in a, uh, I, because they have the listening data, they been able to allow artists to directly approach their top listeners with tours, with merchandise, which it, it just makes fucking sense. It's sort of annoying that they haven't done it by now, but w- it, within the next year, I can guarantee that most of the streaming services are going to open that up whether it'll be a paid service or not remains to be seen. I suspect it will. I think it'll be like taking a Facebook ad out, which all of us do very often. But if you can target, if, if, even if it's a paid system, if you can target the people that really, really want to know what you're releasing, the potential there for streaming is incredible. Beyond any uh, monetary value that streaming has, being able to actually see and contact the people that are listening to your music, the, the, you know, anything could happen there, I think.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Find the curators. They're, they're out there. Um, just the same way you needed the neighborhood DJ to, to plug your album some decades ago. The same thing exists across all platforms. Find them, leverage them, do your research. Uh, reverse engineer where the nearest artist to you is showing up and see how you could use that for your benefit. Again, same, same concept, same through line. The other thing is um, across all of the social media platforms, streaming included, you have the, well, not that that's social media, Some and sometimes it is, but within all of the platforms that are at the artist's access, a lot of people think it's just a publishing platform. And uh, indeed it is, YouTube, Facebook, you everyone knows oh, two to four times a week, twice a day on Twitter, there's sort of the recipe book, and that's just one page of the recipe. Uh, what's infinitely more important, or maybe equally important, is the community engagement. So just beneath your two to four posts a week on Facebook needs to be every day I'm commenting as my brand on like artists. It needs to be every day I'm uh, direct messaging fans that have a birthday. It needs to be beneath that um, you know, resharing things on Twitter, retweeting things. So don't just be top level, dig deeper. It's sort of like the asshole at the dinner party who, uh, when it's his turn to talk, blathers out a story, and then the rest of the time turns away is down here. Nobody wants that. And don't become that as an artist. Don't become that as a brand. Um, so engage. Uh, two-way dialogue is key. It's not just a one-way platform. None of them are. Yeah,
3: and engagement is really important to, to be targeted and to have, again, that organic. Um, so for instance, one of our services is to target, quote-unquote, VIP DJs and artists because I have personal relationships with them. So I'm able to take a song and send it to top-level DJs. Now, it took me years, okay? Like, 20 years to get to this point where I'm able to email like Questlove or somebody and say, here's a song. And he might actually open the email or his manager. So I have to be very careful and cognizant about how I do it, how often I do it. you know. And again, it's not just this formula, like I'm gonna tweet at one o'clock Pacific. No, you, you have to really be engaged. So it's the same thing with dealing with um, these direct you know associations with artists you have to just know how to do it and there's an art to it you can't be a super bugaboo but you can't also just send an email and expect them to just open it right away there's there's an art to sort of the follow up and then there's an art to kind of understanding who you're targeting and making sure that you're targeting the right person because if i send this person one whack track they may never open my email again and just they might just unsubscribe so it's you have to be very careful
4: yeah i know one marketer who has a 70 20 10 rule 70 percent of your your uh, conversation should be from you and not commercial pitches but sort of a revelation of what you you know what what you're thinking what you're feeling 20 percent is forwarding other people's things like hey I saw this thing I think this is cool you know and engaging or responding to other people and then the 10 percent is hey I'm in St. Louis come see me you know so you've got to you know be able to help really engage them that sounds about right
0: to me I just want to go back to curators just for a quick second. So, um, two weeks ago, I met a curator at Pandora who actually is here in San Francisco. and I said, like, you exist, you know? Like, uh, um, so, um, and he's like, don't tell anyone, you know? So I'm, I'm curious about, um, I love your idea about um, searching Twitter for curator and but seeing, be you know?
1: surprised how many of them list it.
0: So, so is that, yeah, yeah. I, I, my, my question is, when we did the poll earlier, most people here are artists, right? Um, can you reach a curator at uh, Pandora or Spotify or Apple Music? Um, no yeah i mean is that is that impossible or do you have to be with a distributor you no, know, so in order the, to do
1: that the, yeah the route through twitter if you can identify someone on twitter you can pitch them to your heart's content i guarantee you a lot of other people are doing the same but that's the route you can take there's an, it's an issue across all of the streaming services right now the inability to pitch in to playlists and and there's only a limited amount of space within the services own lists and it it, it kind of needs sorting out they're never going to be able to include everything In the list they get so at the moment it's usually your distributor or your label that will pitch in but there are other things you can do like i've worked with a lot of artists that self-release we go in with management companies really really early on before we've ever released any music and go and sit with the services play them some music and get their support right up front and that's something that's changed as well um so if we go look we're going to release these you know four tracks over the next however many months and try and get them to buy into the idea from the start Um, But that's pitching directly to the services, and there are there's there's different ways and means. Predominantly at the moment, it's your distributors. But as a manager of a a, a potential unsigned band, overall, we have a self-release. We managed to get in Spotify's New Music Friday, Apple's Best of Week, um, and a load of the branded lists, and we pitch directly. So it is possible. um, You just need to take the time to do it, but it is difficult, and there is a reason that you can't find email addresses for any of the curators. There are also now companies that offer this as a service, um, and it's a transition between traditional radio plugging and service plugging, and it's a really gray area because no one has a clue what the fuck they're doing just yet. So all the radio stations are hiring, all the, ra- all, the all the streaming services are hiring all the radio staff at the moment, so your traditional radio plugger would have gone to see the head of, like in the UK, BBC or whatever, um, and pitched a track in there. And now they also have to go to the services, and those uh, relationships didn't exist, so, um, at the moment everyone's finding their feed, but if you go I and mean, you could go and Google it now, there'll be loads of playlist pitching services available. But what I would say about them is there's some fucking cowboys out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and if if anybody says to you I'll put your um, That's your radio track on promotion
0: here. always. And oh you know, yeah, But yeah. The, the
1: old payola yeah. ain't gone from yeah. the streaming world. It's and don't do not encourage the payola thing on streaming services. We yeah. need to eradicate that. Yeah. If, if anyone says to you, "Give me a hundred dollars and I'll put you on a playlist," that's what you say to them. It's like that. That shouldn't be in our industry. And it's also you're not getting on a credible list. If someone's getting paid to to, to put you on a list, that ain't a credible list. And I guarantee you there'll be no legitimate listeners. So don't waste your money on
0: shit services. But there are good ones out there. The, the, I'll just say one thing. I I don't think this panel's being recorded. As far as I can tell, I don't that's see. so fucking. <laughs> well, no. This. I'm I'm sad about it. This is. There's a. I'm no, I'm there's a, a lot Benji of cussing here. Benji yeah. keeps a swear count on my panel. I always you, want a, a, a British person on a panel going forward. You know, so many benefits. Spice it up.
2: Yeah. So, yeah. Um, no. can, can, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I've have got an idea, and it might be a little foreign, and I hope we've not lost touch of it in this room or in this world or in this day and age. But go out. The the good music and the good curators. There's a good way to find them without an email address. Find the dope shit. It's going to be surrounded by the people who are into the dope shit. Get around that. Go live it up. And I know you guys are here. Talk to one another. There's probably brooding with a less eloquent accent in this room, some curator right now with a few less F-bombs that you need to meet. So mix it up. Go to where the music is. Go to the where research, the culture though, is. You
3: know, because yeah. sometimes people approach yep. me with music that just does not. I'm so niche and targeted, which I think is the root of my success. But people will come to me with, you know, EDM or indie rock, and I'm like, but, and I feel bad because they send me records, sometimes they FedEx the record. You're spending like $40 sending me something that
2: I'm- Country.
3: Country, indie rock, all of it, and I don't understand. It's almost then I feel a bit offended. Like, have you not looked at the website? We've been around 13 years. Like, did you not take just a moment to see what we did? Right. So I think there's a way of doing it, but the, the payola may not work. But what about? But before you can find it on. And again, going back to what date
1: is available. So more and more services. Uh, you now you can see where people have been discovering other bands. So if you know that you fall within the same uh area as a different another band you know for sure that those fans are likely to like your music mm-hmm. if you go onto their profile on whatever apple or spotify or whatever, and see what other playlists they've been included in again it's the reverse engineering you can chase those people for those the, the same list inclusion there's a lot you can do if you spend the time uh actually looking into your market the, the beauty of having all this j- data out there is that it is all out there you can be asked to go and look at it but you have to understand what you're seeing and act accordingly. And also, and the, you know, there's a lot of bands come up to me and go, I'm huge in Russia. And you go, I'm oh, yeah, oh, huge in Mexico. And then you go, no, you're not. Like if you weight that data by territory, Facebook might tell you you're massive in Mexico, but if you weight it by territory, you're really, really not. And there's sort of, a, the, it, you can have all this data presented to you, but you have to understand what you're looking at and you have to spend a little time understanding how to read it. It's a really important part of anything that we're saying with you know, data analysis.
2: And not only is it there, but it's there for everybody, which means you're responsible for it. So you can't necessarily hide from it. It's not really novel anymore. You, you, as, as an artist taking your career seriously, you need to learn this language. It's sort of like trying to be a session musician and just saying, I'm not going to learn to read sheet music. That's, that's, that's part of your toolkit. And it's uh, incumbent upon you to take these steps.
0: You know, David, you mentioned earlier... Um, uh, you talked about uh, starting locally, you know, um, uh, when we were talking about awareness. And I, I'm just wondering if, if we could talk just for a minute about um, sort of traditional uh, marketing, traditional marketing. We just talking a lot about digital marketing, and I know the lines are blurred, but um, we had a little bit of a discussion around um, the uh, marketing that should happen for terrestrial radio, for example, and, you know, there was a presentation earlier from Edison on Uh, you know, a lot of people still listen to terrestrial radio. So can can we talk a little bit about um, maybe more the the traditional terrestrial stuff?
4: Sure. Um, Although I have to say, you know, it's really, that's not a good place to start. Uh, You know, terrestrial radio is something when you're several steps along the trail. uh, And uh, because, you know, if you think that you know, curators need to see something from you or other, you know, uh, potential advocates on your behalf. Radio is probably the the, the the trickiest and and all that. Uh, you know, I do think that there are some, you know, radio outlets. There's, you know, community radio. There's, uh, um, you know, sh- shows, uh, you know, that, like, you know, we do a lot of work in Americana. There are a lot of, uh, uh, you know, public radio stations that have three-hour block programming, uh, you know, that are in a particular market, you um, And uh, you know, I think as far as more you know, kind of traditional mediums. If you're you know in one of those genres where you can find some programming in a market that's near you, you know your 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 media mix ought to be communicating with that show. Um, Also, to go back to the promoters, one of the things is those venues. You know, um, in the you know finding out what acts that you that have trod that path before you, where they've played, go to the promoters and talk to them and say like, look, we're, we're, I'm willing to show up, I want you to help, if you believe in what I'm doing here musically, help me build, you know, my audience, I'll, sh- I'll show up, we'll work with you financially, but like help me build, I'll show up here like every two months and build this thing, but what are the what are the mediums that your people care about, you know, and a lot of times if you are humble and you ask for, you know, help, you'll, you know, they'll be uh, really forthcoming. You'd be surprised how few acts or or representative acts go and ask those questions and are are willing to do that. And a lot of times you'll find out, well, this is how we promote to our audience that shows up for our shows, you know, at this particular venue. And then, you you know, you follow up with the promoters and let them know that you've, you know, taken their advice and taken those steps. So, I mean, a lot of it's not really, you know, super sexy and a lot of, especially in, like, Americana, um, you know, people aren't, you know... They're a little, it's an older audience. They're probably not as tech savvy. Uh, they're probably more album buyers. I mean, you know, we work with Lucinda Williams and like literally 75% of her sales come from physical albums, you know. And so that audience is, um, you're gonna have to speak to them in a different way, you know, and uh, you know, but it's, it's just a matter of just sort of thinking, you know, market by market. And sometimes with somebody like Lucinda, obviously we're, we're having that conversation on a national level. But just being, you know, cognizant. It's, it, you know, it's traditional press. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, the alternative weeklies. It's the block programming at Americana. It's, it, you know, and it's social media too. A lot of, a lot of the fans are on Facebook and things like that. So get the venue to, you know, we look at indie retail actually as a medium as much as we do a point of sale. I mean, I, I will, you know, live about half the time I live in Nashville, and they have a store there called Grimey's. Grimey's is absolutely. Uh, a a megaphone in the community about what's cool and so anytime an act comes through we're trying to get in their twitter feeds and
0: give away tickets and do things like that through through that medium as well yep i'll just say one thing or uh, maybe and who is going to ask questions? Who has questions? I'm trying to figure out how much time we need yeah. Who's to... Who's her game? hands up? That yeah, okay. Uh, so I'll, I'll maybe bring up one last concept, and then we'll we'll ask... Uh, I'll, I'll open it up for questions. Um, can, can we talk a little bit about um, the, the marketing cycle, right? So um, my, I used to work as a project manager, product manager at Ricoh Disc, um and then at Rounder, and uh, for me in that role a while ago, it was, um, okay, 20 weeks out, you're going to do this distribution ad, you're going to do all these things until... Uh, release date and everything's built into release date, and you have a ten-track yeah, thing. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. What's what's the marketing cycle now?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think some of that stuff still applies. I mean, it, it's there's de- definitely different paths to Mecca, and a lot of it I think depends on who it is you're marketing to. Yeah. But like for somebody like a Lucinda Williams, that's very applicable when it comes to you know some of the you know um things that were that are aimed at more of a younger audience uh you know not so much you know but i i th- i think it's just you know, there's no right or wrong answer there. I think it just depends on who you're trying to market to and being cognizant yeah, of that. In,
3: in my, in my markets, sort of like the hip-hop soul dance music thing, it it it's definitely like mixes and like DJ mixes and then people hear the song and they're like, oh, such-and-such such played that song, now you can go get it. So I think for us it's a little bit different and people normally tour and open for people and do that sort of thing way in advance of an album coming out.
1: So the biggest
3: fundamental change is
1: understanding the new economy, and you're totally right, some artists, and some artists I work with are still predominantly physical, mm-hmm. but still now earning for the rest of their lives on money they released 20 years ago, because they get paid every time someone streams it. Mm-hmm. So the, it's still the streaming economy very much still applies to, to Heritage acts. Um, but the build-up, you have to start much earlier if you're going in with streaming, and also, it, streaming only rewards longevity, and that's something that you have to understand about the new economy. Yeah. The old system was do all that, get all your shit together and build it right up to release day, and then woo, so the album's out, and everyone kicks back, you know, you might go on tour, but it predominantly, is aside from the odd single, is the, the promotion hit there comes back. That's not how it works anymore. Streaming builds, in, your release day now, and especially with the charts, which are questionable at the moment, the way that we all uh, look at the charts or compile the charts. Um, If you release a song now on a Friday, that hit, unless you're Justin Bieber or Beyonce or or someone huge, that hit ain't going to the top of the charts, but it might peak on week three. And we call it a difference between a release date and an impact date. And what we see increasingly is that the impact date has completely changed. The track might only fully impact, and that's when it's, it's... Height, usually across radio and across streaming services, could be three or four weeks after release day. And that's a really important thing to remember because you can't just put your music out on Friday and you go, ah, that's it, I'm done here. Oh, no, no. I'm going, no, yeah. no, no, mate, your work is just beginning. Cool. And f- beyond that, you, you know, you need a year plan. And the track release now, as opposed to an album, so we talk specifically about the streaming world, you have to allow each track a chance to do that. Each track needs that a few weeks prep then a few weeks, maybe months sometimes after to to keep that going, to build momentum. And on streaming services, if you can get it up to a certain daily uh, stream rate, you're going to earn that money the rest of your life. Questionable, the amount that they pay us now, all of them, and that goes for every service. I don't think we've got the rate per stream right yet. This is not
0: that panel. I know, I'm not (laughs) going to.
1: But if you're earning daily and you will earn the rest of your life, so but you've got to put the time in. Um To each track, and, and the, within that the re- the release plan has completely changed, and it's a much longer term plan. But,
4: but I do have a question for Russell. Um, I still feel like the press, uh, which is certainly you know, whether it's online press or or more traditional press, still seems to view the album as the inciting event, um, whether it's you know pitchfork, not always, but 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 largely, I think to that degree. So I think in terms of organizing you know a campaign uh, I guess just answer that question are you finding that sure. changing or are you still feeling like that's the case? so
2: pitchfork even their, even though they're the uh, big 600 pound gorilla they tend to be a little more uh rootsy and a little bit more sticking with the established trends of yore um, now there's other equal biggies and same with rolling stone um, but with all the new biggies that are coming into the space and taking up market share from the established names, uh, you have consistency. That That's really what you want. Consistency, in the old way, used to be an album every two years, you're on pace, you keep it cranking, uh, at some point after your album cycle diminishes, you get the press cycle of they're heading into the studio, you could push that for a little while, you put a couple images out, that buys you six months, you do this. Now, you could take that album and You have a good point. Maybe Pitchfork still wants the entirety for the purest senior editors that are over there. But indeed, a lot of the junior staff and a lot of the rest of the world at large, the consumers and editors of the new world of music, they would be just as happy and your fans would be just as happy as taking this uh, every two-year album, shattering it into... 12 tracks that are once every two months, giving it the breathing room that she just spoke to. And here's another thing. A lot of people have a lot of stuff queued up. You want to look at the long play, and you want to look at your tour cycle, and your single, and your music video, and you want to look for that soggy spot in your rope. And you want to erect a tent pole in that, so that you have this cadence. It's all about cadence. So whether that cadence in the times of yore were the album every two years, or a track every two months, you have to give it breathing room on either side. I use the metaphor of a big huge mountain, and a big huge mountain, and a big huge mountain. If you squeeze them too close together, you stand far enough away, and all these peaks just make a flat line. So you take that and you squeeze it in too tight and you don't give breathing room and there's nothing too celebratory. Um, I work with artists and brands and festivals all the time that have this stuff they want to push out. And I say, listen, at that, at that high-end interval, we've got to combine two of these things. No, no, we want it to do, do its own thing. But ultimately, in your cycle of outreach or to your fans or whatever, it might take a week for somebody to open the email. Or for somebody to hear the song, and if you're already stepping on your last single with your next single, then the old one is dated. You're sort of putting out your own fires yeah. on accident. And, so,
4: and, and you're not allowing the conversation to, you know, to really uh, take take hold. I mean, I, I, you know, I always tell my clients one one
2: conversation at a time. Yeah, it loses
3: yep. legitimacy.
2: Sure. Let's, let's yeah, you're um, going to step on your own your own concepts. Let's open it up for questions. I think um, uh, she yeah. right here. She wins. Yeah,
3: yeah. you win going to be a good one. One, of, one. of my questions
0: is I'm a recording artist and I've had a track that recently went viral on Spotify without being put on playlists. And what I'm currently seeing, but what I'm currently seeing with the curation of the playlists is do you feel as marketers that those curated lists have an equal playing field for artists?
1: Do they offer an equal playing
0: field? Do they offer an equal playing field? And what tools can we build in tech to analyze that and create an equal playing field? I don't
4: think you can. Okay. Um, And why? Because the problem with those people is that they have a finite amount of bandwidth. And they can't can't talk to everybody. And so they have to, uh, they can only really have the bandwidth of talking to trusted advocates. And so I don't think it's a technology issue, it's it's a bandwidth issue for those people who are curating. So a human
0: issue. Yeah. Another question I have is the way I did that is I analyzed behavioral data instead of demographic data. And so as marketers, are you guys using behavioral data? Yeah. yeah you so are. And
1: possible. how are you
0: using it at your advantage?
1: So in, to give the example about the Twitch thing we talked yeah, about. That's great so with Prodigy's release, I don't know if you're a lot familiar with the Prodigy over here. So a uh, really big uh, EDM band um, in the UK. But they're an established band, and we could, through retargeting and tracking behaviors, we could see that they were resonating with gamers. They're, they're an older band now, they're getting on a bit. They're still fucking brilliant. Good night out if you ever get a chance to go. Um, but we knew we weren't resonating. We could see a gap within the, the ages that we were targeting. So we were going re- real, real well with you know 20 to whatever it was. But the, that younger gamer generation, we weren't. And there's a platform called Twitch, an online uh, gaming platform and then um, they had to block all of the audio on their streams because they didn't have any licenses. And we sort of thought, fuck it, and went and licensed them a track. And it was for that week, we're on the homepage of Twitch. It was millions, hundreds, tens of millions of uh, people looking at it. And we were they were allowed to use that track uh, and it linked to legitimate sources. And this was a non-album, non-single non track. So it would have been you know, classed as a B-side, just—it's an experiment as much as anything else. but by using the behavioral data that we could see, we found exactly the right audience and plugged that gap that we were missing and got in front of the right people and also boosted that track way up That That track may not have done anything on its own. It would have just been released as part of the album, but it got us completely in front of the right people. So behavioral data is really important.
3: Also, like call to actions. You know, we look at, like, what did people do and what did people react well to? Was it a free track? Was it, you know, win a pair of tickets to the show? Is it is it something like, you know, see some backstage stuff? We use a lot of those, and we look at everything, right? The email blast, the open rates, all the socials. I mean, everything. And also, we do a lot of affiliate marketing, so we look at, like, what the partners did and how that affected them, and then we let artists know, hey, this yeah. worked really well for you. Well,
1: this, I mean, it's as creepy as it is, knowing what websites they're on before and after they hit your site. Is actually really interesting. It's not right though. Google's had me listed as a seventeen-year-old boy for the last ten years. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you can go and check who they think you are. Yeah. So, like, right. and you know, so that's that's Google sort your profiling out. Um, so I think I'm a black male because it's I like not basketball
4: necessarily correct. <laughs> yeah. but I, but I get a lot of Spanish language ads. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, like all so Spanish all, language. I don't even speak Spanish.
1: All this stuff we're saying, <laughs> it's not an exact science yet, but factual stuff, like knowing where they were before and after, you can put a general profile together of, of who's coming to your site and who's you know, going to follow them around the internet.
0: Let's get another question in. Um, Hello, I might start
3: singing, (laughs) I got
1: a mic. Um, You talked about story, I'm curious about stories that aren't our life story, but some examples of of stories you're trying to tell that aren't like, oh, I was born in a small sharecropper, you know. Like, what are some other stories and um, stories that resonate with audiences?
4: Um, Well, uh, I mean, they don't, I mean, I think sometimes, you know, artists are, you know, it, it's about you know what they're feeling. You know, the the you know one of the the artists uh, I, I manage, an uh, artist Patty Griffin, who often is is uh, you know singing about things that she cares about, but is not necessarily from her own personal experience. I mean, whatever the point of view is, you know, I, I think that there's just there's got to be you know some sort of a point of view. Uh, to a song now, the point of view that she's going to have is going to be different than you know many of the other artists that you know that these guys you know represent. It can be, um, but you know, but it, it doesn't doesn't necessarily have to be this happened to me. Therefore, and I'm telling you about it now.
3: A, a good example on my end um, is uh, King, which is a band, that, that actually a female group. They um, opened for Stevie Wonder, but instead of just being like, guess what, we opened for Stevie, they talked about like the story of meeting him, how he went to their show, and I'm telling you, we've Never seen such open rates. I mean, people really wanted to know how, why Stevie was interested in this group. So instead of just he came to see us, it was like the well, story behind and, yeah, it. Yeah, and and also
4: and once again, and this you know, and I understand Patty's pretty, you know, she's pretty prominent and everything like that. But sometimes things that you care about, I mean, something that we did to make connection because Pat, you know Patty is you know, Patty meet, sings a lot of songs that mean a lot to women, you know, and so underlying that relationship, you know, we, you know, we, we, she and I were talking one day and, we, and she was really sort of upset about, the, you know, uh, uh, some political stuff that was going on in Texas and wanted to get women more involved in voting. So, you know, from that I went to the League of Women Voters and we put a whole concert tour together and all that stuff. It didn't have anything to do with music, but it, it was an experience that kind of underlined what she had, was also doing with her music. So sometimes those conversations don't even have to, du- du- you know, to yeah. relate directly mm-hmm. to the music.
2: Mm-hmm. And real quick, that's only half a question because you have to know your audience before you know how to craft your story. So yeah. Sun Tzu, begin with the end in mind. That's gonna inform the front half of that. So, yeah. yep. One, one
0: last question, I think. Um, I'm gonna go way back in the corner there.
1: You might have to shout.
4: I do know. We got a mic on the way.
0: Yeah.
4: So um, I'm a singer-songwriter, and I don't have... You talked about, like, 100 flat tickets in 10 different locations. I'm not there, but I tour nationally, and I have, like... I can sell 50 tickets to 20 different locations, and I'm at a point now where it's so busy as an independent artist that I feel like I'm losing a lot of promotional and marketing opportunities because of how busy I am booking my, you know, 150 shows a year and doing all that stuff. So... If you're an artist where I am and you're ready to start the next step, what's the first team member as a marketing person that you would recommend? What what uh, type of music? Is it like kind of a folk singer-songwriter? Yeah, it's like folk pop.
3: Can I just quickly say, I I would hire a cheap assistant. To uh, just yeah. write, filter out the emails, ten bucks an hour type of thing. You can find things like on Fiverr or or Task or or you know um, Upwork those types of even people from overseas. That would be so. When what I what I would do. Yeah,
2: and have them research who's playing in those markets and find a buddy band and get a regional partner to fill out that other fifty. Right. Then you've got your hundred. Then you've got the agent calling yeah. you. I yep.
4: uh, yep. used to work with a band in Nashville. They wanted to, they wanted to be on Brooklyn Vegan. And, and so they, what they did was they just stayed on Brooklyn Vegan and saw these bands and wrote to all these bands and they could sell tickets in Nashville yeah. and they were like, hey, you guys come open for us and we'll put you in front of 200 people here. Mm-hmm. You put us in front of there and then all the of a Sometimes you got to play for yeah. free. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so,
1: some things haven't changed. Like, all, all of the, yeah. the, the, if you're starting out, you still got to put the work in. That's never going to go away, but tour, touring with people, definitely. Well,
4: also, you know, I, and put it this way, what I might suggest too is, is rather than play... 150 shows a year because you're not that you know, sort of simple math would dictate that you're probably showing up in a lot of those places once a year. I might suggest sort of bringing the circle in a little, uh, a little smaller, uh, yeah, yeah, B- show up in those markets a little bit more frequently and get to the point where you can, um, you know, where you can really sort of scale and 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 yeah, lock consistency in
3: consistency and residencies yeah. are great, yeah.
0: Well, actually, we have two minutes, so we'll get one more question in. Um, anyone have another question? There was, a, there was a hand back there. There's, there's oh, a very yeah. full there's, house in, in the corner over there. The uh, all right. But, um, I think there's
2: free drinks in the corner back <laughs> there. You, uh, you got <laughs> yeah, one Yeah. I I, I I can't <laughs> toiling see Toiling away is on the, the back, panel? So Up front
0: there's here. Yep. Go ahead. Um, Patty Griffin. Yes. yes. I know. So <laughs> much. So um, new artists, like been writing for maybe three years or so. You know, been with my fiddle player now for maybe a year. We're getting ready to record our first album. We've done the demo, so like being in this position, trying to uh, bring together everything that I've heard tonight or today. What are like the top three things that like we should be focusing on? Like, f- you know, we're about to record our album in like two months.
4: What? Tell me a little bit about your music.
0: We are uh, indie folk, traditional. She's a Scottish fiddle player. I play guitar. We both harmonize and L- lyrically
4: sing. Lyrically, what? What? The lyrically,
0: mean. Um, life, uh, nature, heartbreak. You know, okay. world contemplation, activism sometimes as
4: well. Okay. Um,
0: like Patty Griffin, Joni Mitchell ish kind of okay.
4: stuff. Okay. I mean, you know, um, have you been to Folk Alliance? No. You should look at the Folk Alliance. Okay. That's good you idea. can find a lot of community uh, touch points there from, um, you know, from house concerts that can help you, you know, build a, a thing with the region. A lot of people that are in the service of, uh, of, um, you know, radio promoters, uh, uh, you know, publicists that that ply their trade in that world, and and uh, and a lot of times when you can go to a place like Folk Alliance, I've seen acts just completely go in there, not very well known, and if they're really good, walk out just because it's like this little petri dish of of, of folk music. So, well, and uh,
3: any music genre research and development, right? The yeah. first thing that we even yeah. touched on.
0: All right, we've got to uh, after this. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry.
2: <laughs> oh, I was just saying, work harder than the next two ladies that are in the studio after you, and the next two that are before you. Hustle. Work harder than the next person that's gonna pay out over time.
3: And you never know who anyone is. Like I, I, I always try to treat just as a human being anyone. You know, you never know. The intern could be that chick at the very top in a year. You know what I mean? To so treat piss everybody well. Up on the land. That's
4: that a very true. good advice. Right. Right. That is a great place to end. I Thank think you. that is true. It'd be good nice. Thanks, thanks so
0: much for coming, everybody. Thank you. <laughs>